Welcome to Double Vision, a reality recap podcast with Jules and Keens. Let's get into it. Hi, Keens. Hi, Jules. How are you doing? I'm good. Long day at work today, but I'm so excited to be podcasting tonight. Me too. Yeah. I'm so ready to discuss this oh. incredible episode. We are on episode two of Summer House, Martha's Vineyard. Uh, guess who's coming to the vineyard? Yes, and we're going to get two new arrivals. It's so exciting. Oh my gosh. So last time we met all of the house guests. And can you remind me, so there's Jasmine and Silas. So Jasmine is 30. Her husband, Silas, is 32. Jordan, the lingerie model playmate, is 31. Amir, the real estate agent, is 26. Bria, the sorceress, is 27. Alex, who's in his own world, is 33. Preston, our sweet, wonderful gay man, is 37. And Nick, the fashionisto, is 37. Now, Silas and Preston are fraternity brothers, and Alex and Nick are fraternity brothers. Right. And we get the sense from the first episode that they all know each other based on a combination of the fraternity and then also some sort of social or networking. Well, there's, yeah, there's some, like, being black creatives in Brooklyn, apparently, but also a lot of... I think all the women at some point, like, work together in the Playboy Club. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, So when we start episode two, we pick up at the white dinner party where everybody's in white. And I believe we pick up right after Alex tries to say that Jordan could be the, quote, toxic friend. Yeah. Um, And Silas has been making a big deal about how... um, when Jordan goes out with Jasmine, they stay out too late, and they let men buy them drinks, and it's not safe to be in the city at night. And Jordan basically shuts it all down. She's like, men don't have to buy me drinks. I'm very aware of my surroundings. We're careful. We're fine. We're adult women going out into the world. And I kind of felt like everyone on the ta- at the table was on Jordan's side with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, And then Silas kind of drops it and says, okay, like, they're good and whatever. Right. And so ultimately the dinner ends and then everybody goes back to the house. And this is actually when they split up into cars and we find out that Mariah has a seven-year-old son. Yeah, it was so cute. Like, he FaceTimed her and she, like, wanted to do a little affirmation with him before he went to bed. And she said, what comes to you abundantly? I love that question. I love thinking about that. I feel like I cannot recall at any point in my entire life when my mom would do affirmations with me. Uh, No, that was not. (laughs) Right, we're clearly from a different time, right? Yeah, I don't think a lot of parents were doing that. And like maybe, maybe in some liberal coastal cities, but I grew up in a small town and I don't think anyone in my town ever did an affirmation. Yeah, but it it was super sweet, and I felt like it was nice to see this sort of softer side of Mariah. Um, You can tell that she has, like, a really deep connection with her son, um, and it was just really sweet. Yeah. Cute moment. Yeah, I feel like Mariah, like, 
in many ways has it, has it together. Like, she's very conscious of her emotions. We see her later in the episode, like, trying to kind of, like, give herself the space she needs. And, I don't know, I feel like she handles herself actually, like, with a lot of maturity. Agreed, yeah. So when they're going to bed, Silas brings up the argument with Jasmine and says it was an important conversation and there was folks that saw both sides, which I'm like, were there? It's like he just has to let Jasmine know that like what he said he means and like hammer that into her like when they're on their own, which I did not like. Also, I'm sorry if like, even if you're at a convert at a dinner and some people take your side while you're trying to like be controlling of your wife, that doesn't mean anything. It's not like, Oh, we all voted. And now Jasmine has to do what Silas says. Like Jasmine does not have to do what Silas says. Right. And I will say that I perceived that moment. I thought it was so interesting to me because it reminded me of the like concept of being a united front in public, but then ready and willing to critique each other. Like, in private because he asks her at one point, right. That, Oh, was I wrong? Did, did I, should I have not said that? Did I go over the line or something he said? And then Jasmine was like, "Mm mm-hmm. And it was like, Oh, okay. During the entire situation when Silas was basically coming after Jordan, when he was saying all of the wild stuff at the table, I don't remember Jasmine ever saying anything. No. But then when they're in bed, like the pillow talk moment, all of a sudden, or I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but I, I thought it was interesting that she was willing to sort of call him out in private. And I don't know if that necessarily speaks to or foreshadows how their relationship continues to progress, but I just thought that that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and I'm, another thing she said was, well, you don't, your problem is really with me, not Jordan. Mm. So I think she's like, stop going after Jordan, but also I don't think she's fully like defending herself in a way that's like, I actually don't have to do what you say. She's sort of like, I don't know. She's in like a weird middle zone with him. No, I think you're right. And I don't know that the audience gets any real resolution because shortly after that, they just start having sex. Yeah. Again. <laughs> they make us watch it. It's so weird. It was honestly one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. I feel like what I can appreciate the most is the editors cutting to, like, reaction shots from everybody in the house. Like, I'm like, there's no way that every single reaction shot was actually in reaction to yeah. them, like, <laughs> banging it out in the whatever suite. But it was so funny because it almost looked like it was going to be this, like, very sultry, like, romantic situation. And then it was just, like, under the covers, bop, bop. Yeah, Silas on top. (laughs) Yeah, I could definitely have lived the rest of my life without seeing that. I know, I don't need to see it, but that's Summer House for you, man. They'll show whatever goes on under the covers, you will see it. Yeah, I literally wrote in all caps, awkward. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the next morning... Jasmine wakes up early to cook breakfast for Silas. She says she cooks for him every day, and she thinks of herself as a stay-at-home wife. So, like, obviously there's a division of labor there. I think that he's completely financially supporting her. Yes. And I get it. If one spouse is, like, earning all of the money and the other spouse is, like, doing housework, in a way that's, like, a fair 
trade, but I just think it's so easy to get into like a weird sticky situation where you, A, you don't have control over your finances at all. Mm-hmm. And B, it's like, where does it end? Like there's truly like, let me tell you as I'm a mom, there's endless housework that could be done at all times. It's like nobody is capable of just constantly doing housework without losing their mind. Like even if you're not the earner, there has to be like some limits there. Yeah, and I think that I was really struck by, similar to what you were saying in terms of the gender roles, like, Silas makes a comment about how he is in charge of money management, and Jasmine just sort of, like, nods along and is like, yes. Mm. As if, like, I don't know why it gave me the vibe of somebody who's been told you're terrible with money, so I'll take care of the money, but we know that Jasmine was homeless, was living out of her car, and figured out how to make it happen for herself, right? So she had this script. She was a screenwriter. And then she eventually was working in the – and I actually don't know the timeline of events, but she was working in the Playboy um, club or what have you. But it felt a little weird to me that she was so willing to just – let him take control over that and say, yeah, I cook for him every day because that's what I want to do. Like, I don't know if I believed that that's actually what she wanted to do. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could understand, like, being a Playboy waitress, you're going to age out of it. Like, it's not, like, an actually, like, a thing that you can do forever. Maybe she was just kind of happy to be like, oh, great, now I don't have to worry about that. Now I'm a married lady, and she's very into the identity mm. of being a married lady. So... Maybe she just, I think she has kind of a, like, a simple idea of, like, he'll earn the money and I'll do the housework, which, like, kind of sounds great in theory, but in practice, truly so many ways that that can go wrong. No, you're right. I I think you bring up a really good point. Oh, I don't know. They also talk about they have some cultural differences because Silas <laughs> is Liberian and Jasmine is from St. Louis. They said, for one thing, Silas didn't know how to play spades. Oh, my gosh. Do you know how to play spades, Jules? No. <laughs> I only know how to play hearts, which is, like, the simple, dumb version of hearts. spades. Hearts. Okay, so I recently watched a movie called The Blackening. Yeah. Have you seen that? I have seen it's that really, movie. It's really, yeah, really cute and funny. It's, like, these black friends go out, and they're all about playing spades. And I was like, wow, I didn't know people were so into spades. And then it came up again in the show, and I was like, I'm clearly such a white lady, like, not <laughs> understanding what's happening. No, I will say it's like a very interesting cultural thing. And honestly, so spades and dominoes are things, but spades more than anything else, in my opinion. So growing up, everybody knew how to play spades, but nobody taught you how to play spades. So it's almost like a rite of passage that as a kid, you have to like sit and watch the game being played in order to figure it out. And then as an adult, when you have the opportunity to just tell somebody how it's done, you continue the vicious cycle of saying, ah, you don't know how to play spades. Like there was actually um, on social media, there was a, a, I think it's Kev on stage. Have you ever seen his content? No. Yeah. So he's like a social media personality. And he said uh, he had this interesting quote about how when it comes to spades, people particularly black people don't ever tell you how to play spades. They just make fun of you for not knowing how to play spades. And that's exactly right. Like that, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you when I learned how to play spades, but I know how to play them. Um, and I, 
I feel like I can't tell you how to play spades. Like you have to just so watch sad. it and then you'll, I mean, I'm sure Google has some interesting information about it, but then there's also like different colloquial rules, like depending. So like, I remember once I played spades with um, this group of guys um, out of Memphis, Tennessee, and they had their own rules about it. And I'm like, okay. They're like, oh, oh, no, because cause if if you want to, uh, you, you have to call it before you can renege. And okay, if you say so. If you say so. <laughs> and I still wipe the floor with them, with my California spades having knowledge, okay? Oh, I love that. So I don't, I, I think I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to, like, watch a YouTube video. I need to <laughs> happen upon a game of spades. So I'm like... I'm hoping that that opportunity will come up for me. And then I will know that what I have to do is just go sit and watch. Yes. At the next cookout, I have to get prior authorization for you to come. Okay. But at the next cookout, <laughs> I will make sure that you have a front row seat to how to play space. I could be like, you guys want to learn how to play hearts? I'll just okay. tell you. Okay. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I think that if you do that, then I will pretend I don't know you. Okay. So please, please don't. Please I will don't try to turn it into a hearts party. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we take a little break? Yeah, I think it's a perfect time to take a break. So Shanice and Phil are coming. Mm-hmm. We find out that Nick has also been flirting in Shanice's DMs. <laughs> Nick famously sent too many fire emojis to Jordan, and she put him on restrict. <laughs> and then apparently he went right over to Shanice and started saying things about how cute she is. Oh my gosh. Do we have any? I can't even recall. We don't have anything about him coming after Bria, do we? Not that I know of. Mm. Maybe that didn't make it to air. Um, Amir convinces Jasmine to go kayaking. Mm-hmm. She's, like, not into it at all. It was kind of cute. I, I think it's interesting that he's, like, five years younger than her. Yeah, I think, and it's interesting. I'm glad that you gave us the ages because I think I sort of imagined all of them being in their, like, late 20s, early 30s. But I do think probably that some of the age differences might play a role in some of this. Because Amir, you said, is 27. Yeah. Right? And Jordan is how old? Like 31. 31. So she's looking for something very different probably than what Amir is giving off. But his excitement level of like, I want you to love this thing that I really enjoy. And like also not getting the hint that she, like, if the first thing a woman asks when you're like, oh, let's go kayaking. And she says, wait, am I going to get wet? Maybe she doesn't want to go kayaking. <laughs> I feel like he it's giving like freshman boy, senior girl. Oh my gosh. That's a perfect description of it. Yeah. It's kind of cute. It is. But also if the senior girl starts digging the freshman boy, you're kind of like, really? I don't know. I mean, he does seem very, very sweet. Yeah. I think that's undeniable. Yeah. And I like, I think his energy, he, he just like sends out like good vibes. Like I think he's probably a genuinely nice person. That's the impression I get. Mm-hmm. Probably. 
So everyone decides to go out bowling. Yes. Bria is, of course, an amazing bowler because she can control the ball with her mind. (laughs) She has Milo, her little ESA animal, in a backpack with a clear bubbles you can see him oh my gosh it looks stressful I know that we talk about um Bria as a sorceress but I think that her official title is like fashion blogger right or entrepreneur something like that I don't totally understand I will say from my perspective as somebody who is not that invested in fashion but loves everything Bria has on (laughs) Like, I think that there are very few things that Bria... No, I don't think there's anything that Bria's worn that I wouldn't wear or that I wouldn't want. So, her clear backpack and then the oversized varsity sweater. Yes, I love every part of it. I love it. And I I will say that I did really appreciate her story about um, how she learned how to bowl and how it was like, a family bonding experience for her. Yeah, she said her dad worked a lot, but they like would go out bowling together on weekends, and that's how she learned to be a good bowler. It's true, it was very cute. Yeah. And do you like bowling? I like bowling, but I'm bad at it. But I do think it's like a fun. I like bowling alleys, I guess, and I like hanging out with people in bowling alleys. So yes, yeah. No, I think that's. I would say the exact same thing. Like I. I am not a good bowler, but I feel like I always have a really good time when I go bowling. And then at the same time, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking about bowling post-COVID. Like, is that sanitary? I don't know. People are doing it. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Um, Bria says she's happy to be out bowling because there's not much to do in Munich, which... I didn't really understand. She says at Munich, people just go to restaurants and clubs. And I know clubs are definitely going to be, like, happening in a European city. But I don't know. I guess, like, do they not have other things to do? I've never been to Munich. Yeah. I've I've been to Berlin. Okay. In Berlin, is there anything to do besides restaurants and clubs? No. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There wasn't. Wait. Wow. I I feel, I didn't even realize that. But no, there wasn't. I mean, we were very young when we went to Berlin. um, And we, of course, found some very handsome German men uh, to take pictures with us and teach us phrases in German that I've since forgotten. But, yeah, it was... I think it's generally very cold, so there's not a lot of, like, excitement outdoors. And then indoor events are really focused on, like, a quiet or a very loud, right? So either music and dancing or sitting in a restaurant. This makes me wonder if, like, wholesome recreational activities are, like, sort of an American thing. They might be. I don't know. Interesting. We've got to do more research. Yes, yes. As podcastresses and journalists, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll get back to you on that. Um, Jasmine asks what Simon would be doing if he was there, and Bria says he would be paying for all the drinks and all the food. He's like a giver. <laughs> then Jasmine, cut to Jasmine in her confessional. She's like, "Why are we talking about Simon's money? I have a man. I don't need his money." Which is just like. I'm sorry, like, you asked, 
And also she's saying he like likes to pay for stuff. And also are you are you saying that like Silas is your money source so now you don't want to hear about any other men having money or like any other women being with men who have money? It's very odd to me. It was I will say that I was kind of thrown by that entire like confessional. Um cuz during that was she also talking about how in the past she was this and she was that, but now that she's married and she's made a commitment and she's like taking herself more seriously. I'm like, there are a lot of red flags around. I think Jasmine's understanding of like a committed relationship and marriage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, she, she says that she basically like doesn't need to respect the relationship because they're not married yet. Mm. Just like I think annoying. Um, I think you can give as much respect to a relationship as the people in the relationship want you to give. And you don't have to like put weird things on it like, oh, but you didn't do this, this, and that, so I don't respect it. That's odd. It is. I also want to point out that in the last episode, I forgot to mention that Jasmine said that it was aggressive of Bria to move to Germany with this guy. <laughs> very odd to interpret that as an act of aggression oh my gosh I don't know I mean I will just say I think that Jasmine is a hater right regardless of your feelings about Bria and her relationship like to me everything that Jasmine is saying is suggesting I don't take you seriously because you haven't gotten to where I'm at which is having a ring but that's not the goal for everybody and also Having a ring doesn't mean that the work is done. If anything, that's like the first step in a lot more work that needs to be done in building a relationship, right? Yeah, I I think that maybe what she wants to feel is that I got married to the best guy. And so if Mm. she sees anyone else dating in a way that's like they're really happy with their guy almost like feels like an affront to her or something like no I got married to the best guy I made the right choice oh gosh oh yeah Um, nothing wrong with that (laughs) (laughs) um but Bria asks if Simon can stay for the last week and everyone says yes everyone says yes Mm -hmm. just noting that for the record I have a feeling it might come back (laughs) into relevance at some point um, on the way home, Mariah announces she wants to do a hoodoo moon mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's cool that she's into hoodoo. She's, like, all about, like, setting intentionality and, like, looking at nature and the forces and whatnot. Um, Alex says, moon ass? We gonna moon the moon? <laughs> Just, like, great joke, Alex. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Listen, don't come for my baby, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So she sets up her moon mass outside. They kind of sit around the fire. Everyone's freezing cold and, like, bundles up in blankets. She seems to, like, talk at length about, like, the position of the moon and where everything's at and everybody's energy. And everybody seems to be, like, freezing cold and not into it. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as she asks them to, like, start sharing, they're like, I just want to go inside. And they all just kind of leave. Yeah, I felt so bad for Mariah in that moment. I think, 
like part of it was she was talking about like her culture and how important that entire process was for her and how rarely she shared that part of herself with other people and for them to like not fully understand the seriousness of it I felt like of everybody there the only person who seemed to be sincerely taking it very serious was Amir but then it was almost like it was framed up as I'm taking it seriously because how dare Jordan and Nick be like flirting in the corner. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt so bad for her. Honestly, I, I would have felt really disrespected. Um, and I don't know if there was anything that she could have done differently. I think that it was really a reflection of the group and them just not being receptive to what she was trying to do for them. Yeah, and I think she already kind of feels like an outsider because Jasmine is her only friend in the house, and Jasmine's friends with all the other girls from working at the Playboy Club. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think in the house right now she's the only parent. Like, yeah. her life is different. Um, and I, as I've said it before, I think Mariah actually is, like, very sensitive. Yeah. And, yeah, I definitely felt for her. I would have been spiraling in that moment. Like, it was really crappy that everyone dismissed her. And I just want to say, like, in that instance, I was Team Mariah. A hundred percent Team Mariah in that. Oh, man. And I don't I don't know that much about Hoodoo. So I would have loved to have, like, gotten a little bit more insight into, like, the origins of it, how it came to be. Like, I don't know. It was such a missed opportunity for the cast, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. So... We get to the next morning, and Shanice arrives. Yes, day four. Shanice is 31. Um, she can only come on the weekends. And she says she's ready to meet hot guys, go skinny dipping, and blackout. Oh, my gosh. Right? Party girl, definitionally, if that's even a word. Absolutely. And the first thing she notices is that Alex is hot. So mm. you and Shanice have something in common. <laughs> Yeah, excellent taste in men. <laughs> no, I mean, it was really interesting the way that she sort of came out just very much straight to it. I'm here to have a good time. I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Um, I don't know. And then we get Nick making comments about what she looks like. Yeah, he's like, because in her Insta photo, she's like wearing cute little like outfits and being hot. And then in person, I mean, she's beautiful. Yeah. They're all beautiful. Yeah. If I just want to say, whenever I say one person's beautiful, it doesn't mean I don't think every single person in the house is, like, gorgeous. <laughs> right. But, yeah, she needs, she's just, like, kind of low-key. Like, she's not all dressed up. It's like, yeah, she's traveled to the summer house. Like, I don't know. Right. I will say that, for me, it reminded me of a guy who thinks that he's doing something by, like, calling out, oh, that's what you look like? Weird. Mm. And it's like, that's a weird way of saying that you've literally never had a girl spend the night. Because <laughs> no woman on the planet looks gussied up and IG model at all times. That's just not, that's not reality. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, whatever. Um, Shanice asks Jasmine, she says, so Jazz, how's the adjustment of marriage? Jasmine says, it's the most rewarding and hardest thing in my life. Which like, I gotta say... When you're, they haven't, I think they've been married for less than a year. I'm surprised Mm -hmm. she's already describing it as the hardest thing in her life. 
Same. To me, that's like, I would describe having a newborn baby as the most rewarding and hardest thing in my life. Emphasis on hardest. Right? <laughs> um, as somebody that's never had a baby, um, but does have a dog, <laughs> which I'm sure as a parent, you love that comparison. I'm right? fine with it. I also have a dog. <laughs> and so I'm like, I remember when... Um, I got married and how that felt compared to when I felt solely responsible for Mooney, my dog. And to me, Jasmine's description of marriage reflects what it felt like to feel like you're solely responsible for the well-being of somebody else. But that's not, in my opinion, maybe what partnership and marriage should feel like that early on. Um, totally agree. I could, you know, of course there's like all different kinds of situations, but like these are both like young, healthy people. Like it should probably be fun at first. Yeah. At least for, I mean, hell if I know, but (laughs) my memory is that it was a lot of fun in the beginning for like, it felt like a honeymoon for like two years because there was no responsibilities it was just yeah you're both you're like I guess you're kind of adjusting to like living together if you haven't lived together before but ultimately it's like yeah you're a young happy healthy couple like you're just living your best life that should be the best easiest time yeah so yeah it doesn't sound good um, she also says she's having a hard time balancing marriage and old friendships, which is another thing where it's like, I just feel like your marriage, there's nothing that your marriage should be like keeping you from having your friendships. Mm-hmm. Again, when, once you have kids, maybe I, I get it. Like, there's like, there's a lot of demands on your time. It's like harder to get out. But it's like, they're just a married couple and she doesn't work. Like, why can't she see her friends? Yeah. And you know, it's interesting to me because I think that I received that in two ways. One being how you navigate when you are one of a group of single girls and you're living life as a single woman. So a lot of the things that you do socially are sort of framed up to meet more people. But when you're in a relationship or when you're married, you don't have the same interests. And so the question is, okay, do I hang out with my friends at this place so that I can see my friends Or do I try and craft an alternative meetup? When you have a partner who isn't receptive or encouraging to you continuing to have your own identity, including hanging out with your single friends, right? And I think that we saw a little bit of that from Silas in the beginning of the episode where he has this like fear of Jordan, her best friend, essentially, and then being out and men looking at them as like that that doesn't mean anything but I'm like I think that maybe that's part of why Jasmine feels like her marriage is so all-consuming because maybe she feels like she can't do the same things that she used to because she knows that it will upset her husband yeah and I think she's attributing it to marriage rather than like her spouse right like it I mean who among us hasn't had like I feel like I had the relationship where I'm like, oh, I'm in love when you're like 19, dumb, dumb, foolish. Anybody that's 19 and thinks you're in love, you're not. You're not. Okay, you're going to be a completely different person in 10 years, and it's good for everybody. You want to be that person. But I felt like I was so in love. And then I met 
my person and I realize how different life can be when it's not just, I don't know exactly how to describe it other than to say that like, this is somebody that I would want to spend time with. I don't feel forced to spend time with. And I feel like I can be completely myself. And I'm like, if you don't have that type of relationship with your partner, uh oh. Yeah. Yeah. If I would say if you don't have that relationship, you probably should not have. That's not the person you maybe should be marrying. Exactly. Maybe there's some more work that they need to do. Yeah. Right. Uh, separately and together on that. Yeah, or you could just, they could do it separately from you <laughs> while you find someone who's already gotten together. Right. <laughs> right, and this is what I love the most about reality TV. Like, we don't know these people. We don't know anything about anything, but we get to judge them because yes. guess what? You're on TV and you are one of a cast of gorgeous human beings, so accept this judgment and take that. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone starts getting ready for dinner, but Mariah's not going because she needs to take a step back. We kind of see her doing yoga out on the lawn when the other girls are talking. I respect that she's like, I'm feeling upset. I'm basically in my emotions and I need to settle down. I totally get that. I also sometimes feel overwhelmed by my emotions. And I think it's like a very mature step to remove yourself and not like keep having interactions that are going to upset you Mm -hmm. and just get your head right. And she's trying to do that. Yeah, I I agree completely. I I mean, and she looks so zen. In addition to like looking amazing, just out on the lawn doing all of the poses that yes. I don't have either the core strength or the coordination to actively like pull off. Like she looks so calm and you can tell that she is having a really good reset, right? I I feel hopeful for how her day is going to progress based on her ability to take this time away. Yeah, but then as everyone's mm. kind of heading out the door, Mariah's like, oh, I got to check my laundry. I think her plan is to do laundry while they're all out. She goes and gets fresh towels out of the dryer and realizes that some of Bria's dog stuff was also in the dryer. Mm. It's like a tiny little blanket or something. And she's mad about that. She feels like Bria's mixing up her dog stuff, you know, she brings it to Bria and is like, you can't put your stuff in with the, all the other, your dirty dog stuff was in with all the other stuff. And Bria saliently says, it's clean, it's fine. But Mariah says she doesn't care, it's still gross. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't feel that Mariah is in the right here. Yeah, say more. I just, to me, it's like, The dirty stuff goes in the washer, and then it gets clean, and then it goes in the dryer, and now everything's dry and clean. I would not care about, like, what got put in the washer, unless it's going to, like, run or, like, whatever. I think it's fine to just toss a few little things in to get cleaned and dried with the towels. How do you feel about that? Yeah, and so I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I just know that for me, I wash dog things separately from Mm. my things at all times. And that means like dog towels, dog clothes, dog toys. They are all washed and dried 
completely separately from anything I would use on my own body. Okay, wow. And so do I think that Mariah's reaction was appropriate? No. But do I understand her feeling a little maybe grossed out or concerned with the washing of items with her like body towels? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to have your perspective on that because I was like, who would even care? But you know, I get it. Some people care, right? It's also like people that aren't dog people, which I don't know where I am on this Venn diagram or on this spectrum, whether I'm a dog person or not, because I have a dog and I love him, but he will never, has never, could never sleep in my bed. Uh Right. (laughs) But you know, I love him. So am I a dog person? Am I not? I don't know. But I I mean, I, I think that she took a nugget of valid concern and she went way over the top. Yeah. So basically, Bria immediately is like also very defensive. And Bria's like, that's your personal problem. Mariah says, that's your personal problem. You kind of keep saying the same things back and forth. There's like a little bit of a tussle where like, Mariah's holding the dog stuff in her hand. And she keeps trying to hand it to Bria and Bria won't take it. And then she kind of like shoves it against Bria's chest. You know what's so funny is my memory of this entire situation is that Bria asked her to just, okay, well, just give me the stuff. And Mariah was like, no, you need to hear and you need to know why what you did is wrong. And then she keeps putting the clothes in her face and Bria is no longer receptive to it. Oh, okay. So like maybe I missed that part. Or maybe I misremembered it. We oh do gosh. know that Bria is a sorceress, she right? Is, she's, so, she's bewitched us. Right? I don't know. <laughs> but I'm like, that was my memory. I was like, why didn't Mariah just hand it to her when Bria was like, okay, just give it to me then? I mean, my impression was that Mariah was trying to hand it to her the whole time and Bria like wouldn't take it. Which is also true. Mm, okay, okay. Right? Interesting. This is, right? And I mean, maybe, listen, we could literally talk about this interaction for hours. But I will say that Bria did a fantastic job, as she often does, of framing herself as the victim in this situation. Even though these were items that clearly belonged to her dog. Items that were clearly in the laundry room because she had some hand in either washing them or drying them or something, right? And that she had multiple opportunities to just take them out of Mariah's hands, but refused to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, right? And so basically they kind of, they kind of like keep tussling after that, which is like, I will call the push when she like Mm -hmm. push, she kind of shoves it into her chest. And I personally think it's like a little bit up in the air, whether that was a push or not. Yeah. I mean, we gotta go, we gotta roll the tapes back. Right. Like I feel like depending on the angle, I think that the way that she pushed the items into Bria's chest, cause she did it more than once. Right. And I think that the first one wasn't that big of a deal. And then the second one, But did she ever have the item? You know what? (laughs) I don't know if she pushed her without the items in her hand, right? I don't think she, I think she always had the items in her hand. Exactly. So it's 
take your stuff, take your stuff, take your stuff. Right. As opposed to throwing the stuff down and actually pushing her or Exactly. Something. They're both escalating. They're both saying to each other, watch your tone, which I thought was so funny. And then Bria holds out her hand straight in front of her and like kind of like points and says, hasta manana, hasta manana, which I know that translates to see you tomorrow, but I think it's a spell. <laughs> I think it's a spell of some kind about what will befall Mariah tomorrow. Oh my gosh. It's very sorceress. Oh my gosh. I think that I was paying more attention to the fact that Bria's bestie, Shanice, literally ran in the opposite direction at the first sign of any altercation. Oh, right, because Shanice is the one who invited Bria to the house. That's important. Yeah, and she just kind of slipped out the back. Yeah. Like, did not want to get involved. Meanwhile, like, Jasmine's kind of in the middle trying to break it up. Um, She's... Bria's like, you must have put your stuff with my stuff. And Mariah says, bitch, I didn't even. And then Bria says, stop calling me a bitch. Which, this happens a lot of reality TV where somebody says bitch, like, colloquially and not, like, you are a bitch. Mm-hmm. And then I feel people sort of choo- pick and choose when they can take offense to be like, oh, you called me a bitch. Where it's like, but everyone's saying that. It's yeah. like an, an interjection. I mean... A hundred percent. Like, we see it in lots of different settings in reality TV. And I think that in a lot of ways, using bitch is kind of a setup, right? Mm. Like, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I don't know. Yeah. So, Bria says, call me a bitch one more time. Mariah says, bitch. (laughs) What the fuck are you going to (laughs) do? And Bria throws... A little, like, piece of paper or something in her face. I don't know where Bria has... She has has something in her hand, like a little wad of paper, and then she just throws it in Mariah's face. And Mariah laughs. (laughs) So ridiculous. Right? Which I would have also laughed if somebody, after saying, Oh, don't, don't... And then your response is to throw a piece of paper in my face. But what she doesn't know is that it was an enchanted piece of paper. Oh, my gosh. So, like, this kind of just disperses, and Mariah goes back to the laundry room, and Jasmine kind of, like, lectures her about the argument. I was really confused by it, and it's interesting because I also feel like this is something that we get from Jasmine a lot, right? Which, when she has the opportunity to call something out or to be very direct, she chooses the path of least resistance, and then... When she should maybe choose the path of least resistance, she goes in. And I don't I don't understand why, right? Because so in this situation, it seemed to me that Jasmine made a point to have a directed conversation about what Mariah did wrong, but was publicly on Mariah's side. Now, it's great that you're publicly on Mariah's side, but Mariah isn't there to see any of it. Mariah already feels like she is the weak link, right? Or the person who has the least connection with the rest of the group. And then now you're also putting her into a corner of saying you were doing wrong. Why did you do that? Why didn't you act better? You're better than that. Like, what was she actually hoping to gain? I wonder. 
Yeah, it felt like her being a little performative about, like, being superior. And, again, I, like, Mariah certainly, like, could have handled it better, but I don't think she was being so that much worse than Bria. I think they were both kind of being a little bit, like, ridiculous and sticking to their guns about stupid things. But, like, I definitely don't feel like Mariah was the whole reason everything happened. Oh, no. Absolutely not. And I think what made me the most sad is that after this sort of conversation with Jasmine and everybody seems to like leave to go out to the bar, like you see Mariah like breaking down. And Preston is like staying behind with her and he comforts her and it's so sweet. Preston's the best. The best. Always on the right side of history. Thank you, Preston. Thank you, Preston. So they go out to dinner. Bria's annoyed that Shanice didn't stand up for her, so she gets up from sitting next to Shanice and says she has to move. Oh, she can't even. I she can't even. sit next to Shanice. <laughs> um, Bria starts talking about how Mariah pushed her, and that's not okay, and why does everyone feel okay with it? Even though at the time she was pushed, she didn't say anything. Mm. I mean, I know that doesn't always mean something, but it just didn't seem to, like, affect her very much in the moment. Um... Meanwhile, back at the house, a very tall, very handsome, very chaotic man named Phil arrives. Phil pulls out a giant bottle of booze, takes a swig, then points it at Preston like a gun. And to be clear, this is 1942 Don Julio that he is apparently chugging as if it's a beer and pointing at Preston like a gun. Which, as a tequila drinker, low-class behavior, okay? (laughs) So I'm going to posit something. Yeah. I think Phil has the wrong name. I don't think his name should be Phil. Phil is a very subdued and calm name, and Mm -hmm. this guy, he's just not a Phil. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's short for, like, Philbian or, like, something something more that would capture his nature. But I think if he might need a name change so that we, like, understand exactly who what he's about before you even need to talk to him. And you know what is so funny? So we, of course, we've watched the show before, and we selected this as our first podcast. And my memory was that his name was Will, like Will Smith from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He kind of has, like, a little bit of a Will Smith look, too. And I, and I feel like part of it is also, like, he has the chaotic energy. Like, when I hear Phil, I immediately think of Uncle Phil. Mm. Who, yes, he has his own version of <laughs> loud and boisterous, but he was smart and directed, and he was never doing anything foolish, ever. Meanwhile, we have Will <laughs> from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, a.k.a. our Phil in uh, Martha's Vineyard, who is pure chaos. Absolutely. Like, he hears the dog barking, and Preston's like, oh, that's Milo. He walks over to meet Milo. Preston says, don't let him out. Phil just opens the door and lets Milo out. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) And he's chasing around the house. Milo leads him to the pool table, and then he remembers that the bedroom next to the pool table is the one that he wanted. Oh my gosh. Apparently he like, he and Bria like had a FaceTime and she showed him that room. And he's like, that's my room. Put my name on. She's like, okay, I'll go find a post-it. I don't think she ever found the post-it. Nick found the room and he called it. Yeah. And Phil feels very strongly that they all should have saved that room for him. And like, where did the post-it note go? Nick doesn't know that this is my room. It's, 
wild. It's absolutely wild. And uh, within the midst of all of this, right, we see Phil and Mariah meeting, which is, to me, hilarious. He knocks on her door. She says, who is it? He says, the devil. (laughs) And she's like, um, hi, how can I help you? Um, and what's funny to me is that they are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of energy levels, right? Like Mariah has this like calmness, this like quiet, clear nature, you know, aside from the Rhea interaction altercation. And Phil is pure chaos. And the way that Mariah receives him is, oh my goodness, he's tall and he's handsome. I feel like he's the energy that this house needs. <laughs> Which is just like really makes you question her judge, Right? Because cut to him returning to the bathroom. Yeah, so he tells Mariah and Preston he's planning to shit in Nick's bathroom. And then he proposes a toast to black excellence. <laughs> Couldn't be more random. And then he says, I'm not fletching that shit after he goes. And yeah, he leaves it. Yeah, he leaves it. He talks about doing it. And then he does it. They all leave the house and go meet up at the club. So Mariah, Preston, and Phil go to the club where everyone else is at. The club is full of old people, which I thought was very funny. It's like, (laughs) it looks like a kind of like a middle-aged like, wedding-type situation, which I think is fun. Weddings are fun. But they were like, wait, why is everyone here so old? Which, but they they stay anyway, and they party. Right. Oh, my gosh, which reminds me, we forgot about, to me, one of the best parts of this entire episode, when Bria and Shanice are outside, and Bria is trying to have a deep conversation about how her friend hurt her and wasn't there to have her back with Mariah. And then we hear off camera a guy say, you're hot, to which she says, buy me a shot. Get me a shot. Yeah, like what are you going to do about it? Buy me a shot. And then they have shots and apparently the entire situation is resolved. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Bria does not seem to be mad at Shanice anymore after people buy them shots. Right? I mean... Listen, if alcohol is the elixir that helps, then I'm surprised that things didn't end up better for everybody by the end of this episode. Because there was a lot of drinking. Yeah, on that note, maybe we should take a little break. Yes, we'll be right back. Phil meets Nick, and he's like, oh, Bria was supposed to leave a note on the room, did she not? I'm going to curse her out later, but anyway, that's my room, and I took a shit in the bathroom. <laughs> Something like that. Right? And everybody's sort of looking around like, huh? This is like their his first interaction with like a group of people in the house. Known each other, no, like literally have met and communicated for less than a minute, and these are the things that are coming out of Phil's mouth. Yeah, it's really just a wild way to introduce yourself to people. It's so bizarre, and honestly, I think that Nick's reaction was kind of perfect in that 
he was like, this is childish. Like, I don't have time for this. Like, what? That can't be a real thing that you've done here. That's disgusting. Right. Yeah, I do think Nick has a good way of handling it all. Um, so when they go home, Phil is mad that somebody opens the door because he says, I wanted to kick in the door, which is just like, wait, you want to kick in the door? What are you talking about, Like, Phil? who is this guy? Where did he come from? Like, nothing makes <laughs> any so sense. so wild. It's, like, I feel like I will admit that initially I was like, oh, wow, he's interesting, he's chaotic. And then as it progressed for literally less than 20 minutes of one episode, I'm like, oh, no, this is way too much. This is terrible. Yeah, I will also say that when you first see Phil, he looks like he's going to be the hottest guy in the house. He's the tallest. He's super handsome. Truly, like, within five seconds of him talking, like, it's not hot at all. Like, you can't get past the personality. No. Um, Nick, of course, goes to check out his bathroom and finds that Phil didn't flush. So he comes back and says, I need you to go flush the toilet. Like, we're better than this. Mm -hmm. Phil insists that he was wronged. And Nick says he didn't know Phil wanted the room. And Phil says, what if there was a law against slavery and you didn't know because you lived in the South? (sighs) So you're just enslaving people. Can you really say you didn't know? Like, wow. This is when everyone really takes notice. Like, everyone looks up and is like, okay, we've got something to handle here. I feel like Preston immediately is like, how are we talking about slavery here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And when he tries to tell Phil that is nonsensical, he says, nah, nah, listen, because... I'm making a good point here. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, he's Phil thinks he's killing this argument. Oh, my gosh. So they all kind of dismiss him, and only Alex is left in the room. And Alex says, I know you want to be a comedian, right? And then Phil, like, loses it on Alex. Like, Alex triggered him with the word comedian, I guess. Or wannabe. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> want to be. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but understand I called some shit out and I told everybody not to touch my shit. Like, like he's like triumphant in this moment of like, and then Amir stands up and I love that Amir is like, no, this will not stand. Amir's like, why are you coming at us? Like, this is your house. We already set stuff up here before you came. Like we've established some things together. Like this is not your house. Mm -hmm. And then Phil says, sit your little ass down. And Amir says, Come over here and see what a little ass can do to your big ass. And that's the end of the episode. To be continued. (laughs) What will episode three bring? Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, I think we've got some things to reckon with here. Right? Oh my gosh. So, at the end of the episode, I have to know, who is your queen? My queen, I'm going to say Mariah's my queen. Mm. I do feel like she was really trying to make it work and trying to keep her shit together, trying to share with the house. Like, she didn't really do anything wrong, except perhaps the way she called out Freya. Like, just, she kind of fell into a trap of Freya's by, like, letting her be the victim. Yeah. I think I would probably have to go with Mariah, too. I mean, she set an intention to try and be more open. She was trying to have fun. 
And I think that maybe she, similar to what you said, that she got a little bit caught up in some of the drama with Bria and maybe she didn't handle it the way that Bria might have wanted her to handle it. But I don't think that that makes her a bad person or that she did anything necessarily wrong. Right? Yeah. Same. Who is your king? Oh, this one's easy. Preston. Oh, Preston's so amazing. He's so amazing. He was there to sort of comfort Mariah. He was there to do his best to like lower the level of shenanigans that Phil was producing from the moment he stepped into the house. And he was also there to try and keep the peace when things started to go left. And I I just think that Preston really does provide a very like calming, intelligent presence in the house that I love. I, I really, really love him on the show and I love him on in life if I knew him I yeah oh my gosh I'd love to know him um I think my king is Amir mm. because I really thought he chose this moment well to stand up to Phil mm-hmm. I like that he's like coming in very strong and I also thought it was sweet the way he like tried to woo Jordan with a boat ride and was also very receptive to her being like I'm not into this I want to go back and he's like all right turning it around I just thought like he had a good energy that way no, that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, how can you not love Amir? Yeah. Honestly, he's so sweet. So I get it. I'm, I'm still team Preston. I don't know that they're against each other, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we seem like allies. But right. Okay. Probably. Right. Well, everything doesn't have to be a competition, Keens. Oh, who said that? <laughs> <laughs> who is your joker? Oh, this one is so easy. <gasps> Phil. Yeah. He's the worst. I mean, (laughs) the foolishness, oh my gosh, to quote Latrice Royale, far too much. The level of unprofessionalism, far too much. Yes, and I'll also quote her, the fuckery of it all. (laughs) (laughs) This guy is like pure 100% unbridled fuckery, and in a way it's entertaining, but I cannot imagine actually having to interact with this guy in real life. No. And I, he felt like a caricature of a caricature, right? As the show progressed. Cause like I said, like I liked him in the beginning and I liked that he was very handsome, but the second that he started talking, everything that came out of his mouth, like left so much to be desired. Oh yeah. Nothing but nonsense. Oh my gosh. Oh well. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next week. I think we've got a lot of drama coming our way. Right. I can't wait to recap. So we'll see you next time on Double Vision. Double Vision is created by Jules and Keens. Starring Jules and Keens. Produced and edited by Juliana Tringali-Golden.